This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. Always a special episode of the year, the first regular season episode for the defense. And 
It was a good one we had in that first game up at New York against the Jets. Joining me, a good guest. It's Coach Derek. Coach, how you doing? Hey, Ken, I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it, uh, especially being your first one of the year. Uh, an opportunity to talk about the first game, which we've all been looking forward to for a long time. So thank you for having me. Oh, no, no. Uh, my pleasure, Derek. I, I, where can folks talk football with you? Let's start with that on Twitter. Uh, Twitter, all, all 22 NFL cuts, but I, I try to change my tag name. It's like all 22 films. Now the uh, underscores are apparently kind of confusing for people. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that when I signed up for Twitter. I'm a Twitter noob, or I definitely was when I signed up. So all 22 films and then YouTube, all 22 films as well. Okay, make sure you give Coach a follow here. He's a great uh, uh, a great guy to see information from, posts a lot of interesting uh, information and, and very diligent about the information he collects, particularly on the offense. And, and uh, we'll get into talking about some of that, really about the Jets' offense as we go through this. Uh, for me, the biggest thing, we went up to New York for the game. It's, it has screwed up our week travel-wise and, and made some of the articles not possible. So if you're out there looking for the defensive article, by the way, folks, uh, I, I only put out star treatment this week because that's really all I had time to do with Maureen. But we did get all our regular research behind the scenes done. So we'll have all the information on pass Russian packages that you normally expect. We'll have that in this episode. But uh, really nice to break that losing streak. Uh, just to have a regular season game they actually won. We've won some preseason games, which have not made it feel maybe like the Ravens aren't on a losing streak, but they certainly are. Yeah, it's so weird to two two factors. One, you know, both related to what you just said. Like, we had, it's been a long time since we won a football game. Correct me if I'm wrong. Minnesota at home, right? I think that's right. I have to go back to last year, but yeah, it was a, it was one of the the last game that made them be eight and three is yep. the one it would be. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. After the loss to Miami, or after before the loss to Miami, excuse me. And then the other thing is like you know we finally got to see Lamar on the field for a long. It's been a really long time for that, and for a young. You know, player like him, that's a, that's a weird dynamic in your career. But if you look back, and you're, I know you're a baseball person too, there's many athletes, baseball, football, basketball, they miss a year or even a year and a half at some point, and they come back, and they, it's like they never missed a, you know, never missed a snap. Hopefully this is this is one of those, and, and maybe even more so, hopefully it's, it'll be that for Ronnie Stanley when he's ready to come back. But, uh, but right now with Lamar, uh, it, it doesn't even feel like he was out at this point. He did Lamar-like things in this game. Um, one of the things that, that always seems to bother Lamar is some wet weather. Yep. And uh, I thought weather did play a fairly significant factor in this game. But I, correct me if I'm wrong. I felt like both sides were impacted. And, mm-hmm. you know, I don't want to be uh... – I don't want to be Debbie Downer, but it's possible that it impacted the Jets' offense significantly too. So, you know, there's something to be said for that on both sides. I think our defense played quite well, and and you've got a lot of data to illustrate that. I haven't had a chance yet to go, you know, kind of aggregate some of the summary data. But uh, certainly our defense played well. I'm not trying to say that they didn't. But I think the rain, you know, the rain and the weather just impacts football games in a way that doesn't come through on television, you know, at least 50% of the time as a fan watching on TV. We can't really tell. Yeah, I, I, I thought that was the case because all three Ravens touchdowns they scored were when the rain let up. And we were we were right there in the middle of the rain getting slammed on. In fact, Maureen is incredibly is trying to score the defense for the Ravens uh, on a piece of paper. And I was having to hold up a Jets towel over her scorebook to try and make sure it didn't get wet. So we had a, a dual operation going on with that. But it was it was at times it was raining very hard. At other times it was raining kind of consistently. But you could definitely see there was a slick ball, more drops than normal. I think a lot of more of the passes were uh, offline or behind the receivers than I would say normally occurs on a dry day. 
And I think, like, to watch high-level college football, the NFL, we sometimes lose perspective of that, that weather is a, is a, impacts the game a lot. Maybe it's because so many other sports are indoor sports, you know, basketball, hockey, whatever. I know baseball obviously isn't, but baseball is generally played in, you know, good weather. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they cancel it when it rains. Yep. You know, football, they play it. And, and it, to me, that's one of the more unique elements of the game. As you go down in level, I'm talking about lower level college football and high school and youth, the game is impacted so much by weather. And I feel like we kind of lose sight of that, myself included, when we watch these high-level guys and we expect them, oh, you're supposed to catch that ball. The Jets had some drops. I think we had two. Uh, there was a couple of throws where I thought Lamar was either a little high or a little low, but they still look like somewhat catchable balls. And the rain has an impact, absolutely. So it doesn't surprise me that it was a defensive game for, what would you say, two and a, two quarters plus? You know, yeah, two quarters plus is about right. Yeah, all three of the Ravens' touchdowns were were scored with slight breaks in the rain. So the rain let up a little bit on the Duvernay touchdown in the first half, and then the Duvernay and Bateman touchdowns in the second half. Both those uh, were relatively dry times yeah. during the game, but they had a lot of other passes. And you know, we look at Isaiah Likely who dropped a couple of balls. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are or maybe not dropped a couple of balls, but didn't go down and get a ball. Those were both balls that were uh, uh, thrown in the rain, and they would have been slick. Um, and, and difficult to catch. Bateman had a drop that I think might have been rain impacted, but it was also hit impacted. Yep. So I think, uh, uh, I think our our touchdowns were our sixth possession, our ninth possession, and our tenth. And now, granted, that's counting the kneel down to end the second quarter as a possession, which I think would make me the seventh. So mm-hmm. my memory's—I'm not looking at my chart here—but uh, you know that's pretty deep into the game to have three touchdowns over the span of let's eliminate the seventh possession. So we say six, eight, nine, ten, three touchdowns over the course of four possessions. Yep. Where we didn't have a single touchdown in the first five. Some of it, we in our Discord we have like a you know a live chat where people are typing back and forth the entire time. And <clears throat> excuse me, some of us were saying I think we're kind of setting them up for a little bit for the play action, but that doesn't really apply to Duvernay's two touchdowns because one of them was a third and five and one of them was a third and ten. So mm-hmm. we just found the matchup on the first one and then executed a staple Ravens, you know, play. It's the exact same play we've run for like two years at a bunch right A. Uh, so, but anyway, I digress. I know we're here to talk about the defense. Offense yeah. is fun when we score, it, right? We can, we can, we can always digress. That's always allowed on this show. But I, I, I really love the, the work on the extended play by uh, Duvernay. I thought, you know, Duvernay showed two important traits on those two plays. The first one was go up and get a football. It didn't really go up that much. Kind of, kind of stayed low, but he took it away from the defensive back who had definitely a hand on the football. And then the, the the second one, he got free late, and that's the ultimate trust play where Lamar is extending a play as he did in the pocket, moving around through a maze of potential people who could have gotten to him, uh, and uh, you know moved up in the pocket, made a nice throw that that Bateman was uh, sorry Bateman uh, Duvernay was able to present himself as open as he's crossing to right to left in the end zone. So I thought really good statement game for Duvernay's receiving skills. Yeah. And he's used in a different place. So like, if you look at prior to this year in bunch, right a, so three receivers tight, right back to the right as well. The back's going to always, when we're in bunch, right a, it's like, it's like 90% pass, maybe even a higher percent. I mean, it's a pass play every time. Uh, so he was typically used in the slot you know, the inside receiver with Andrews as the point man and Brown was the outside receiver. Now that Brown is gone, DuVernay is now that outside receiver. So he's running the kind of, like you said, like later developing, you know, almost like a post route 
you know, that's one of the last options. So it's just interesting to see the same exact play concept be run, but Duvernay just be, you know, in a different spot and take advantage of the opportunity. Cool stuff, man. You know, especially for somebody who's who's not been a consistent contributor uh, offensively. Hey, maybe it's because he just didn't get enough opportunities. Who knows? Yeah, well, hopefully so. And, you know, yeah, yeah, I think both in terms of executing on the on the first one and in terms of executing getting open on the second one and building that trust with Lamar it's a, it's a statement game for him both ways so I'm I'm uh I'm very happy to see that uh let's get back to the defense second because dominant performance by the defense punctuated in some ways by some untimely penalties the, the Ravens uh really should have had six sacks in this game they only were credited with three they lost two of them to penalties on themselves they lost one to an intentional grounding by Flacco but that right. it's at the effectively is a sack that that Campbell cornered him for, then he just decided to ground it. Uh, and and the uh, and of course the two penalties were away from the ball in basketball terms. That, that you know it's a illegal contact and a uh, uh, defensive holding, I believe, was the other one. Yeah, correct me if I'm wrong. The illegal contact was Humphrey bumping a slot receiver mm-hmm. like six, seven, eight yards downfield. So it was real close, real yeah. close to the five. Yeah. Yeah. So like, and I mean, you know my background a little bit in terms of coaching. Like that's what you teach guys. You know, that's what we teach guys: be physical, impede the route. You know, make them understand because it's cumulative. It's not just that play is not isolated. It's cumulative. The next time a guy has to run that route, he's going to veer off a little bit further inside because he got the snot knocked out of him the first time. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, all penalties applied to uh, defenders and coverage are not equal. And that's one that I think is a – it's a negative because we gave him first down. But it's not uh, it's not all negative. You know, any look at the Patriots when they beat the Colts, I think, two years out of three in the playoffs, um, you know, during that time when Manning and Brady were so great. They were incredibly physical with the with the with the Colts receivers. And that has a cumulative impact, if you ask me. But, yeah, you you hit on a great point, man. Immediately. When you think about the game, your brain thinks more pressure than six sacks. Mm -hmm. And it's because we had six. You know, you're absolutely right. Uh, and three of them were negated. That, I thought that was a bad call on the one with Calais Campbell. I thought that that um, – I don't know. You tell me. You were there. Did it look like grounding or did it look like he was down? I can't remember. Oh, I, I, honestly, I didn't even try and make that distinction because it's it's really a sack in my mind for Campbell anyway. So it's just yes. it was a question of whether it was going to be a sack minus seven or so or a sack for ten, which it ended up being with the with the grounding. But uh, I, I didn't make that distinction, but I, I actually couldn't tell if he was either, either in the grasp or down at the time. Yeah, those guys were so – and those guys were so ferocious. I mean, we're we're sitting here talking about Calais Campbell could have been the, the third or fourth most impactful interior D lineman on our team. Um, yep. You I know, think that's reasonable. That, yeah, that's a, that's a shocking thing to think about. You know, two of the guys, well, every, two of the guys ahead of him weren't either weren't on the team, Pierce, last year, or Broderick Washington didn't get a ton of playing time. And there may be someone else I'm misremembering in there. Well, Matt Abike. Well, yeah, I, was, I wasn't forgetting him. Yeah. Matt, I'm a huge fan of Matt Abike. I, I think I've done like three Matt Abike film studies and try to tell people he is way better than you think he is. Uh, primarily yesterday, correct me if I'm wrong, um, his improvement was in a pass rush, whereas in the past he'd been dominant against the run, not as effective in the pass rush, you know, Correct me if I'm wrong. So I go back to his first season. It has been kind of a, a tale of two things. During the second half of his first season, says so 2020, uh, he did have a lot of one-on-one pass rush wins uh, in the second half uh, of the season primarily. And that was one of the things that led Peter King to look at him and say, 
that's my choice for dark horse defensive player of the year as a second year player. Right. And, and he's, I think he's doing pretty much the, I, I don't know if he took away as his guy, but he should take away as his guy. It's a great choice for, yeah. for, for this year in terms of a guy who played well as a rookie, not to, not everybody knows about him, you know, yeah. certainly did, did well enough that, that, you know, a, a lot of growth is expected and has tremendous tools. He's got all those. And I, I, th- I thought his second year didn't quite do as well in terms of one-on-one wins. Didn't take that step forward. No, de- definitely agree in terms of the pass rush. You know, there will be times where it's like, and I, sometimes I like to watch it either slow down or I like to, um, on the one database that I use, I, I can like set the start point at a certain uh, moment of the play and I can just keep hitting restart, restart. And it'll restart at that moment. I'm, I would find myself watching it going, come on, dude, like, the bull rush isn't working, you know? So I mean, in the middle of that play and, and a friend of mine used to say, Hey man, no matter how many a coaching friend of mine would say, no matter how many times you watch the play, it's not going to do what you <laughs> want him to do, but it was almost like punishing yourself for me. But in any case, yeah, no, last year, last year, Matt BK would, you know, that bull rush wouldn't work. Occasionally he'd work a secondary move off the bull rush, but the run defense last year was incredibly underrated stretch and zone runs away from him he was shockingly good and then run at him just didn't happen that often to my knowledge you know and i did some videos i I haven't watched them recently i wish i had time to Uh, but i remember vividly like two plays against minnesota like they'd run zone away from him and he'd make the tackle on the backside. and then later on in the game they run zone to him and he sets the guard's ass back inside and the ball's got to peel back to a linebacker because he's 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 just stopping all momentum. He's a he's a shocking player to watch when he's playing well. And uh, Pierce is the same way, but maybe a little different. Um, incredibly talented group. You have a little bit longer knowledge than me, uh, or a lot longer of Ravens personnel. But I I struggle to think of a as impressive an interior D line group. Uh, maybe. The two thousand group is pretty great, but well, I mean, <laughs> so, before then, before yeah. then, you know, that that those guys are that's a different level. Yeah, um, I I, th- I think the the group. If you go back to two thousand six, when they had yeah. Kelly Gregg and Trevor Price and those guys all all doing something a little bit different, uh, they were pretty special then. Uh, I, the two thousand one team, by the way, it's not generally known, but the four man front of, with a, they played a four three at that point yep. um, is the deepest defensive line I think in NFL history. You go look at the guys and how they all lasted, you know nine, 10 years in the NFL. Uh, and, you know, it included players like Adelis Thomas, who uh, at that point was just converting from defensive tackle to kind of outside linebacker. Uh, you really had, and, and yet Kelly Gregg was a situational pass rusher because they didn't have any place to use him on first or second down. It's Syracuse and Adams on the team. So I, the, the Ravens have had some amazingly deep defensive line play over the years that, uh, that uh, it's, it's, it's fun to watch, but this group is fantastic. I agree. And look at what they did yesterday versus what's supposed to be a pretty damn good expensive line. It's definitely an expensive defensive line. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the guy who was getting bullied like nobody's business is the left guard, Lincoln Tomlinson. Yeah. Well, you should know that name. He's been around the NFL for a long time. He's a San Francisco 49ers offensive lineman for five years in the Kittle-Juszczyk era mm-hmm. of dominant, you know, San Francisco run teams. And, uh, uh, you know, he, he was just bullied all day yesterday. Yeah, I was – Pierce is, to my knowledge, remembering now, Pierce seems to be a vastly improved player. Not that he wasn't good when we had him before, but a different level. 
there there was not this um this almost like a, a runaway train type of <laughs> you know a, a look about him and and he doesn't lose like rush lanes you know he'll be in a rush lane the quarterback kind of moves to the side a little bit and Pierce is still able to maintain you know kind of front him up a little bit yeah. and not lose not lose his side which a lot of D tackles will do Okay, I want to ask you this, Coach, specifically about Pierce. And we're going to get back to the players, so maybe we, we come back to this a little later, but we'll just do Pierce right now. Is uh, is it a matter of utilization from two methods here? Number one is he was uh, on the field for a whole bunch of third downs, and the Wink Martindale era featured outside linebackers basically taking those spots away from the defensive lineman. Now, for this year's team, there's no question about that because they don't have enough outside linebackers to even stand up. But that's that's number one. Number two is the question you can answer these both at once is, do you think there's something different about the way Pierce is told to play the position that is less too gappy, and perhaps that's a matter also down in distance, and more penetrate and do what you can because we think you can you can help the team more doing that? Yeah, there's no question. You know, there's a there's a, and I don't make this term up. And I, you know, spent maybe two years having this um, philosophy. It's called TGOG, two gap, one gap. So you basically have, you know, if you have a four two in a box, which generally everybody does at a certain point in time on every possession, you know, a couple of guys are two gap, or maybe one guy, and then the rest of them are one gap. And so yeah, it's it's entirely possible that we've, you know, that Pierce has kind of been turned loose. Um, in a certain role, it might also depend on where the three is and where the one is. Generally, a one, you're kind of like you're not two gap. And a three, yeah, you're responsible for your B gap, but you might be asked to compress the A gap to your side. So even though you're not responsible for two gaps, you're trying to be in your gap and mm-hmm. it's the inside gap. So it's a, you know conceptually, it's a two gap thing. Yeah. TGOD, TGOG, two gap, one gap is is a mentality of um, using your best players to be the two gap guy. And you're and, less 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 gifted guys to be the one gap guy. And that that specifically is really what I'm getting at is here. Can you turn a really dominant? In his case, he's obviously a one tech, but can you really t- turn a dominant three tech as we maybe see we, when uh, Travis Jones returns, mm-hmm. or with Matabike into effectively a uh, a one gap penetrator who can make a gap go away with your two gap, one gap thinking that he, 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 he pushes it so far. I mean, you get penetration in a lot of different directions, but you certainly get side to side penetration that will really help with that. And oftentimes I think that a, a lineman may be, um, uh, a lineman does not consider his positioning necessarily in that same way as, um, explain this for me, if you will, as as needing to maintain it the way that a defensive lineman does defensively, right? To to maintain a gap scheme. Yeah, because sometimes those guys, like particularly on like that stretch stuff, you know, they're trying so hard to maintain their gap that they almost. I mean, yes, you'll see guys that are like they're still in their gap because you know the gaps are moving, and so yes, they maintain their gap. But in in fighting so hard to maintain their gap, their body their core, their strength is not in any position to actually stop a 230 pound human being running. So yes, you've maintained your gap. No, I'm not certainly not saying you should, Hey, you should just give up your gap. You know, no, <laughs> but, but yes, that, that does happen. Some of those guys that can play three, maybe can't play one, you know, can't, can't play the shade, but, um, 
I don't think we have any of those guys, man. I think I think they can all be like interchangeable. Uh, you know, maybe Calais Campbell is a guy that I wouldn't want in there as a shade nose. You know, obviously with his size, uh, I'd, I'd kind of like him more dealing with guards and tackles. Right. Because, but um, they're also they're also powerful, explosive. I mean, good God, we we're not going to use Travis Jones at all here early, and um, Isaiah Back is on the practice squad, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a it, it definitely is a very deep group. Isaiah Mack will be gone as soon as the um, injury situation defensive line, as it does every year, deteriorates just a little bit. Then the replacement level will fall below who he is, and and he'll be he'll be playing in the NFL this year. I guarantee you that. But uh, I just don't know how soon it'll happen that he'll be lost. Yeah, I love his game, man. He had two correct me if wrong. He had two sacks against the Bengals in our second game up there. Broderick Washington had one. One of Mack's sacks didn't count that day. And he actually had a third hit on Joe Burrow in that same game. It was yep. like, you know, it was just, it was like, who is this guy? And where'd he come from? You know, and we still got him, but now he's like, what, the the eighth best interior lineman or something like that on our team somewhere? Yeah, and seven maybe. But but anyway, he's the, he's also a fourth-year player, which I think is is part of the reason they had to take the risk on losing him here because he just doesn't have as much option value. Uh, obviously, there, there's no there's no question of any of the really younger guys like Matipike or or uh, Travis Jones getting cut, but but there also wasn't a chance for somebody. Um, they, they really they, they as a fourth year player, that option value mattered in terms of whether or not they could they could yeah. afford to keep him or not. Oh, they made the right decision. It's just shocking that they had to with a guy of his caliber because I don't think. I don't think there's eight or ten teams in the NFL, not even six probably, who had to make decisions on players like that at, at interior defensive line. Yeah. Well, it's a, I don't know if you saw the waiver claim process here, but there was something like 33 or 34 claims made across the NFL, which I think is about double the normal number. Hmm. And uh, the – okay, this is where it's really funny. The Chicago Bears, I think that's the team, took six players, and Jacksonville took five. So that means they said – Six guys across the NFL who got cut are better than our bottom six. <laughs> it's almost like a second draft for those teams. It's just that bad. So, uh, so you're saying that, that the number of players claimed through waivers was significantly higher than in previous yeah. years. Simultaneous to that, you had um, the largest number of um, draft-eligible guys for the draft in forever, right? Because we're talking about basically COVID. two or two and a half drafts yeah. in one. I wonder if those two things are related. You know, the number of depth players uh, that's been entered into the league is higher, maybe just a, just a thought, you know, based on what you just said. Yeah, that's, that certainly could be. I mean, one of the things that I thought was funny was the Ravens, despite all of the movement and the claims and everything, and the Ravens players all made it through, uh, which is a little surprising to me that, that nobody got taken. I thought Anthony Brown also actually was a, a possibility that somebody would take him still possible. I, I thought that was only a real a slim possibility now, but I think as time goes forward, there's some injuries at QB, but also there's some bad teams that know they are bad. That's when Anthony Brown gets taken to be a backup quarterback somewhere because that team makes a spot for a third quarterback on their team. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And those, you know, it, I guess it's different for different teams when they make that decision. I would say that decision starts to become reality for certain teams after week six. Yeah, you know, and uh, and we've even said that in the Discord that we have as part of my Patreon, which is like, if the Ravens are going to look at, you know, a couple of guys are like, hey, we need to tackle, whether we do or not, you know, I don't care. That's not going to happen until week six. It's not going to happen in week three. Correct me if I'm wrong. The Marcus Peters signing was week, our trade was uh, week seven, eight, somewhere around there. It's approximately correct. I think Seattle might have been the sixth game of the year, and that was his first, but maybe it was the seventh. 
yeah, so it's generally a time where, for whatever reason, you know, certain caliber players become available, which is to your point, you know, about a guy like Anthony Brown. I think NFL teams sometimes look at a guy like Anthony Brown. If you look at his college film, a lot of the, some of the things he's done in preseason, you didn't see. Mm-hmm. You know, you didn't see in college it, because they were a run-centric offense. They had that little running back who's transferred to USC who got like 25 carries a game. He's responded well to coaching, and NFL coaches and organizations would recognize that, hey, He's improved rapidly in three months with different coaching. Yeah, I agree. I'm surprised that Anthony Brown either didn't get, you know, weight or uh, selected or um, if he doesn't at some point this season. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. And we'll uh, we'll play this out here. And I'm having trouble bringing up the what I need to. Here we go. Um, what else do we want to talk about? I, one thing I wanted to I kind of chew the fat on you with was that I thought this was an atypical and a typical win at the same time. Uh, and I'll give you the atypical way first is that the Ravens lost the snap count decisively, mm-hmm. 79 to 53. That's usually, at least during the Jackson era, has been the way the Ravens have won the snap count, kept their defense very fresh in the fourth quarter. In, in a sense, it's amazing the defensive line, the most rotated group, is still out there playing well all the way to the end of the game. Yeah, absolutely. And that maybe that's one of the reasons why some of the younger guys – were put in there, uh, what, late third quarter, early fourth, something like that. J.A.D. was in there. I think Pepe, of course, it has to do with Fuller's injury, I guess, also. Yeah. But some of those guys, it seemed like, were in there, whereas they were not earlier in the game. I think it speaks to our depth, number one, that we do have pretty solid, you know, roster uh, or guys available, you know, on game day. Um, And I'm a fan of rotating guys anyway, you Mm -hmm. know, particularly when some of the guys you're playing are around the same level. And you, you alluded to it or you actually spoke definitively to it when we talked about Isaiah Mack. If a guy is um, in his third year or maybe even his second, there's no reason to make sure he doesn't get snaps. I look at I look at that as like the sophomore, you know, yeah, sophomore I, in high school. It's going to be there two more years. And in college, too. And in, in, in college, even if imagine if basketball and football are a little different in, in college, because college, you could lose a guy after one year. If you're at Kentucky, all five of your guys might be gone. But if, but if you're if if you have a second year player and you don't put him on the field, he could transfer on you. Uh, you, you know, he could he could be uh, a guy who you never really get to realize the full value of. At the NFL, the, the the deal is different. Obviously, you only own your guy. Own your guy is the wrong term, but you know what I mean. You only have control over your guy for four years, so you better get what value you can out of him during that period. And the quicker you can figure out if you have a diamond as opposed to a zircon. Um, in year one or year two, the more more you're able to save in terms of other people you might bring in at that position for unneeded depth. Yep. So it seems like it seems like just it's a small sample size. We've only got preseason in week one. It seems like we're talking about defense. It seems to be we're better at putting guys in positions to succeed based upon their skills, as opposed to uh, this is our system. And we're going to fit you into our system, and, and you may not be a perfect fit for what we're asking. I'm generally talking about linebackers and DBs that are that in the past, before this year, were asked to play, you know, press man coverage, and they weren't clearly weren't good at that. We seem to be subbing more guys in and out um, strategically, and and have a little bit higher situal, situational awareness on defense. I don't have a large sam- large enough sample size to really, you know, be concrete in making that assessment. I guess that's a real long-winded way of saying I think we're being coached better. 
Yeah, it, and, that, and that could be. I mean, I really liked Wink. I thought he was a very good defensive coordinator. I thought he adapted well, both in-game, week-to-week, really you know, used the opponent well in terms of what he would choose to do. And you know, The Giants went out and beat Tennessee the first week of the year. Uh, Wink had something to do with that, too. So I, I, I hope people will not you know, go through flacoitis here where they hate the last guy as soon as the next great guy comes along. Yeah, but our linebacker, first of all, our inside linebacker coaching is completely different level this year. Oh, yeah. You want to blame Rob Ryan, I'm on, I'm on board having, with you. <laughs> having Zach Orr, we, we are way better. Now, uh, McDonald and, and you know, the DB staff, they haven't been put in the position yet to make an easy decision like the 4th and 11 against Chicago. You know, that's, in, that's unconscionable to put a, our 6th or 7th best DB in that position. That just, that just bothered me as someone that's been protective of players and kids for a long time. You know, that, that kind of bothered me. It was difficult for me to let that go. But, no, no, Wink, you know, having said all that, absolutely, Wink's a good defensive coordinator, and he brings a mentality. You could see it in some of the, the Giants' uh, videos that were on social media, excuse me, uh, that um, he brought a certain mentality. They showed a meeting room, and he's going to have some bravado, and the guys are going to latch onto that. There is no question about that. And we have, like I said, about sample size. We don't have a sample size yet to see how McDonald and those guys are going to respond to certain situations, um, if at all. But it, it appears as if we're being coached better because we're playing a lot more coverages uh, and we're playing them better, if that makes sense. I think we're doing some split field stuff that we really never did before. We're certainly doing some people call it match coverages. Um, I, like what, I like what appears to be a high level of teaching and having a high standard for what the guys are asked, asked to do in terms of coverages. You know, they're asked to do multiple things and not just line up and play this coverage because we're better than you. Well, I certainly do like the general looking in the backfield approach, which is having, uh, you know, obviously you're more likely to make that work with two guys on the back end talking about splitting the field the way you, you did. And, you know, when you play zone or you play cover three, um, uh, you know, eyes in the backfield with the lead. This is exactly this Jets game. I mean, they were up 24 to three. That's part of the reason why they did some rotation on the back end. It wasn't all injuries or people coming out of the game. Fuller got pulled for one play. Uh, Might have been after his penalty, but he got pulled for one. No, he didn't. He didn't. He didn't get pulled till the final three plays. That's not right. So anyway, uh, Armour Davis got three plays then, but we had somebody else got got a little bit of time before that. It was Pepe. Pepe. Yeah. yeah. So I like him. I like him. I like all those guys, and they come. A, they've they've competed. We've seen film of them competing. That's that's important, you know, in preseason. Now, as the level of competition is raised, clearly, you know, are they going to be able to compete? Who knows? But we're it looks like we're going to find out, you know, because we're not yeah. going to rush Peters back, which is the right move. And you know, we don't have Fuller now at all, so those guys are going to get a chance. Brandon Stevens included, obviously. All right, we'll save some talk about those defensive backs until we get to the players because I want to talk packages a little bit with you here. And uh, this was a an interesting game for packages. Now, first of all. Always love to open my Christmas presents the first time you have a new defensive coordinator and see, you know, what the heck is he doing with the defense? Even even the first time year to year with the same defensive coordinators often changes just because the personnel changes. Mm-hmm. And they say, hey, we can do this or we can do this. And they, and they do it a little differently. But the Ravens um, played a bunch of packages. Why don't we talk about these one at a time? I, I, I'm just going to rattle off some numbers here for you, and then we can we can talk about what we want when we get to a certain package. They played two snaps of true base defense, and when I say that, that's with two outside linebackers, two inside linebackers, four defensive backs, um, and three down linemen. Two plays for minus two yards. Not a lot to talk about that. Not enough sample size, I don't think, to to really go at. Uh, this is they played another base though, and that was with 
three outside, sorry, three inside linebackers and one outside linebacker. And effectively what we're seeing there was Harrison moving to outside linebacker, something they've talked about for a long time. They did it for two snaps in the preseason. They did it for two snaps last season, I believe. Somebody made the point on online, you know, on Twitter, I saw that they played like 100 snaps there. If you see a number like that, that means they're going by where they were positioned at the snap and not like they were really lining up oh, to set the edge. Is, <laughs> so, oh, yeah. gosh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, stop me in a minute. But it's like I saw a graphic of, of Chuck Clark last year after like week five it was like he's lined up at left defensive end he's lined up at right field yep. technique no he hasn't he's lining up and he's faking the blitz and he's a gap right to, <laughs> to cover cur- or hook the curl like yeah. that's just and and the and the graphics come from some um analytics uh sources that um are difficult to understand how they do things anyway so so yeah no i mean that was interesting You're, so the first play i think we're in a four three look and i think uh Harrison is the left inside linebacker to our left. Oway is to our right, uh, and they run 13 personnel. They run uh, like a, a little stretch to the left. Running back bounces it, and Oway's there. Bynes fits it good, and uh, Marcus Williams one of the few one of the few misstep, missteps he made. He doesn't force the ball inside, but that was the four three look that I remember. That's why I'm that's why I'm quoting that play. And then later on, same personnel. They walk Harrison up, and now he's playing like left out left outside linebacker, and it looks like three four. Yeah, the the first play of the game was the, was the run left for nineteen. That yeah. that was that was one of the Harrison plays. That was yes. a, a single outside linebacker. Yeah. 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 Oa Oa's on to our right. Harrison's to our left, and he was he's walked back in like a four three. And I think two plays later, the very same group, I believe, um, or maybe it was second possession, and he and it's the same group, but they walk him up. So they're good for Harrison. You know, they're giving him an opportunity to play inside linebacker. Uh, it's just a Sam in the four three is all it is. It's just yep. a Sam, even though that's not you know that might be not what other people call it. Sam in a four three plays inside linebacker in a four three look and he walks up when you go to an under front or you know old school guys call it a slid fifty, which is where mm-hmm. I get my terminology. So so yeah, I mean good for Harrison, but you know though he's got to take advantage of him because <laughs> Bowser and Ojabo are coming at some point, and they're just more talented guys. Yeah, and and you know, hopefully, uh, what I hope Harrison gets out of his time at outside linebacker is not a future at outside linebacker with this team. That would actually be a very bad thing. It would mean injuries, and it would mean you know the Ravens outside linebackers, who are some of their best players when healthy, are not ready to go. But I hope it. I hope it gives him some of the uh, drop skills from coverage, maybe some understanding of what that outside linebacker is doing to try and play off at himself from the inside. That he can be that effective, Mike and will back up for this team. I think he is that guy right now. I I don't think there's, I don't think Ross is ahead of him yet in terms of being the first guy off the bench, even in a, um, uh, at a really either position. Agreed. Agreed. You know, Harrison has the body. He's got the strength. He's certainly got the downhill capability. We've, Mm -hmm. we have film of him making plays downhill against the run. You know, we also have film of him, you know, against the pass. Like you think of the chiefs game, you know, he gives up a play to Travis Kelsey. We played a very poor coverage to ch- to Kelsey's side, and I don't put that on Harrison. I put that on the guys calling our coverage because he shouldn't have been put in that position. You know, anyway. So there's some times where like some of those inside linebackers get uh, what's the exposed. word? Exposed. Ex- well, yeah, exposed. Yes, they get beat. Fact, but mm-hmm. they get put in a position that is that they shouldn't have been put in anyway. Sometimes, like I think of um, that play, Kelsey's touchdown. Uh, going right to left on the television screen. It was Mahomes extended it a little bit. We've got Justin Houston and Harrison bracketing Kelsey. It's not mm-hmm. a good matchup, you know. I, another one empty 
uh, the Bengals last year. Uh, I forget their third receiver. He's like a six four guy. He beats Queen on a little out and up for a touchdown up the right hash. And it's like, yeah, Queen looked bad. He shouldn't have been put in that position, you know. Um, and and that's one of the things where Harrison gets exposed. I agree, but he's going to give us reps. Hopefully, they're good reps. I like his effort yesterday, though. I thought. Yeah, I I, I I I thought you know not a bad effort game from him. It did not work when he played outside linebacker. They 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 had some of their only real offensive success with 98 yards on 11 plays, 8.9 yards per play when he was he was there on the base with, with him at outside linebacker. Yeah, when they're running that zone or stretch stuff away from him, he doesn't close down violently. Like mm-hmm. he's he looks as if he's okay. I don't want to make a mistake and go for the run and it be boot. And I don't want to go to the quarterback and it be stretch and he cuts it back. So he looks like he's, some people say, you know, go slow until you know. He went really slow, mm-hmm. you know. So, and that's not being disrespectful to him. That's just reality. No, and, and that's fine. You just, you, you got to, you got to call it as you see it on this show. So, uh, so just be honest. We don't need, there's no, no need to be disrespectful of the athlete in, in uh, other ways. But, you know, we, we're grading his play and it's fair comment what we're doing. So, yeah, that's a, that's a coaching term that we would say go slow until you know, mm-hmm. meaning, you know, don't fly down the line of scrimmage like a bat out of hell in the sure. quarterback, keep it. And that's a way to just put in the athlete's mind something that triggers, you know, when they see that run action away. It's it's you might have maybe by being a little deeper in this we saw the big play I remember is Malik Willis beating um, uh, Hamilton in the yes. preseason on the poor containment on the backside and that was a he did not go slow until they know but he also didn't maintain the the proper uh, depth on that play yep. to, to aiming, know poor aiming point yeah we literally I mean I'm I'm literally moving my hands right now you know placing a cone on the ground like that's literally how we would teach it we would put a cone on the ground and we would say you're aiming for your aiming point is two yards outside of where he is here mm-hmm. or whatever the guy if he was a great athlete at quarterback or halfback then we would say hey this week your your aiming point is three yards outside why because he's a better athlete and whatever Hamilton's aiming point was it should it shouldn't have been such that Malik Willis is able to beat him to the outside so yeah no great point yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's a great way to, to explain it from a coaching perspective. Very understandable. And I appreciate that. Let's let's keep talking a little bit about the nickel here. They did play a fair amount of nickel, 22 snaps, 102 yards, 4.6 yards. So it's, they played a combination of big and small or big and standard really is what it is. So just to explain to folks out there, I know you know this coach, standard nickel, three corners, two safeties, uh, two defensive linemen. Uh, two defensive, sorry, two outside linebackers, and two inside linebackers. Yeah, I mean, to me, that's I just call it coaches. We just call that four two five. But yeah, go ahead. Okay, so that's uh, I sometimes call it two 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 five, <laughs> but, yeah, but four two five works as well. It's it's like just so that in the game, you know, on the headset, someone can say because you're you know in the game you're coaching or calling plays on the sideline, you're standing at field level, you can't see the far side, you know, guys oftentimes. So the guy on top is just like, what do you got? Four two five. What do you got? Five one. You know, so then you kind of, as a coach, you kind of know the coverages that are they're kind of limited to. So when you're saying big or small, are you talking about whether Clark is in? Uh, yeah, whether whether a safety is in for the to replace the third corner is right. what I'm talking about. Bigger, bigger, small, a bigger standard. I mean, a, a standard nickel is, is is nickel. You don't have to say anything special about it. Uh, but but a big nickel, yeah. Uh, uh, that, those those plays, of course, because Clark has a dot. He played every snap. And, and Williams is playing every snap, and deservedly so after his game. We'll talk about him later. Um, but Hamilton is the guy who who is the, uh, uh, the, the 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 other factor you can bring in. I'm not talking to, to about the wild card or whatever, but he's the he's the extra player you bring in at safety to when you want to go from two to three. And the Ravens got into got him into this game a lot, a fair amount of big nickel, 
And uh, then they also got a lot of dying played in this game. Yeah. How many snaps did Hamilton have? Sorry to interrupt you. But no, no problem. I'll go to Hamilton right now. Give me a second. I, uh, now, I'm going to give you a, a number that's slightly lower because it's based on the 79 real snaps. Uh, but you can also get this from the game book if you want to, and they'll have a slightly higher number. But Hamilton had 38 snaps. I was going to guess 32. So, okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. That's great for his development. Yeah. That's awesome. You know? Yeah. Perfect. I mean, I, almost half of the snaps, and uh, and certainly that's uh, it's great for the Ravens. I'll tell you this: if the Ravens end up playing forty five percent dime this year, mm. uh, that is a really good thing for the Baltimore Ravens. That means they are leaning on opponents with the lead, as they did in this game, yeah. and basically playing dime for entire stretches of the game. So you so, would know this. You would know this. Okay. Obviously, uh, I wanted to set you up, and you can knock it down. That sounds about what our two thousand nineteen. Yes. Uh, was, yeah, sounds about right. I seem to remember yeah. like 48 or something. Like 40, about 42%, but it was the most dime they've ever played in team history. The most, uh, and I believe the number I'm giving you is dime and quarter. So they played a little bit of quarter and they played a lot of dime. And whenever they were ahead in games, they, they yeah. uh, went to it exclusively. And the Ravens in the fourth quarter, uh, literally at the start of the fourth quarter, went to dime and they only got off it for four plays the entire quarter. And, yeah. and that's when that's when the Jets ran most of their plays. Yeah, so, man, that's what I that's what I thought I saw, but I can't chart like I'm I'm typing on one screen and I'm watching the game on the other. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, it was it's like I was telling the guys in the Discord a couple of times I said, look, it's hard for me to track the coverage live. I kind of have to watch it on the all 22 whenever it comes out. I guess it's out now, but I haven't had a chance to look up and tutoring all day. And uh, you know, but I I, I had trouble figuring it out unless they showed the replay. Now, when they showed the replay, I was like, oh, okay. All right, I see we've got, you know, three safeties here and, and we're good to go. It looked like Bynes was off. Harrison, obviously, on a lot of those, you know, situations we're talking about. Yeah, they, they didn't, let's see, down the stretch, were they playing Bynes at all? Is that really the question you're asking? They didn't play him until the final three plays. And, and that was when they went back. And Harrison was only in for two plays during that entire stretch. So yeah. it was all Queen, basically, was the sole inside linebacker on all these time snaps. He's being asked. To, he was being asked to do, you know, a lot. Queen. I saw mm-hmm. Benson. I saw him covering. Obviously, you know, we all saw him get beat by the running back who dropped it at, on the goal line. We, you yep. know, we get it. It happens. But uh, but when there's so much space there, it looked like you know when there's too much space for an inside linebacker to cover, you're going to get beat. I mean, you just are. There's just too much space in there, and that's why uh, you know that's why I'm a big fan of zone. You know, not all the time, but sometimes because then it gives my slower inside linebacker an opportunity. And Queen's not slow, so mm-hmm. but he's you know, slower than a safety. Well, most of them. Um, he's it gives him a leverage side to be on. Okay, I can you know I can let you win on this side because I've got help there. And I just felt like uh, in the past we asked him, we had him covering. I think of the New England game up at New England in 2020 when they really exposed him in the past. They choreographed, designed two plays to attack him, and man, Rex Burkhead beat him. The double pass touchdown, Rex Burkhead in the far right corner of the end zone. And then another third and seven, uh, they they picked him. And so, you know, it's kind of difficult to play through a pick, which is still legal uh, for some reason. Yeah, they, they, that that in general is a, is a problem for young linebackers and something the Ravens have never really seemed to get figured out is how to deal with bunch formations at the line of scrimmage and the, the picks that naturally come off that. But it's it's the perfect place. But it's not it wasn't all I mean, let's be fair about this. It wasn't all Queen getting beat by being targeted. It's oftentimes Queen beating himself over his first two years in the league. He's got a bad habit of yeah. even if it's man. Now, I don't but, know about this year, so I can't, you know, say this year. He's got a bad habit, even if it's man of, okay, my eyes are on a man, ball snapped. He runs wherever, whatever route he runs. He got outside release. I got eyes on him. 
Now he cuts in, and now Queen's eyes go to the quarterback. And now hopefully that has been fixed by Zach Orr. It was really bad at the beginning of last year. Robert, you know, the best coach for the inside linebackers last year was Josh Bonds. You know, yep. things got fixed when he got on the field. And I think Orr is doing a great job. Man, how great a job is the D-line coach doing? That guy, yeah, that guy is gonna, he's gone. If not this year, the next year, he's – people see that. They they see the film. They get the end zone angle. They look at it all season and go, man, everybody's playing for him as a badass. You know, so Weaver, we should appreciate him while we got him. Yeah, he's he's a he's definitely a, a coordinator candidate for sure. And he's been a defensive coordinator already with the Texans, right? Mm-hmm. I think yeah. that was for half a season or a year or something. Yeah, I I think for one year. So he, he could, maybe it was only half a year, but but I think he will ascend to that level again, given yeah. you know who he is as a leader of men. Uh, very, I, I, it, it seems to me like he's got the he's got the tools. He might even be a head coach someday. You know, it's it's he's still a reasonably young man at about let's see, Anthony Weaver was drafted in two thousand two, so only twenty years have passed. So I'm guessing he might be about forty two, forty three right That's now. What I thought forty three. Yeah. yeah, we've got a great defensive staff, in my opinion. I think I sat one day and just kind of looked at the staff, read some stuff, and educated myself. Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong, we we retained our safeties coach, and we retained our corners coach. And I know McDonald brought a defensive um, analyst, something like that, with him. I can't remember the guy's name. I I know he's not coaching a position here, but he was at Michigan. And then we've got Weaver, who I love, Zach Orr, who... You know, we all have an affinity for Zach Orr because right. of how things ended and, and the passion that he played with. I think we have a really, really high-level defensive staff, and I think you could see that in the preseason. Everyone that came in played well, you know, I thought. You know, it's like yesterday. Who, who played poorly? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I would say really poorly, not too many people. There there are concerns that I have, and I want to get to this, some of that in this episode because it's I – don't, I don't believe you're ever in a really uh, – perfect place and i think if if i had let's let's talk more generally i think there were a number of reasons to be extraordinarily happy with the with what the ravens did and then there i think there are a number of other reasons to believe you got to be really cautiously optimistic about what happened hey they won great we look different at db with marcus peters off the field no question Uh you know there is there is a there is a ceiling if we don't have marcus peters no question we've got some good young db talent that can be that you know, third, fourth, fifth, whatever, you know, corner. Uh, but when you remove Marcus Peters from that equation, yeah, the day is coming. I mean, mm-hmm. it just is. And it might be the Dolphins this week for real if Peters doesn't play, which I don't expect him to, and I really don't want him to. I would I would kind of want him to be, you know, there for the stretch run. I don't know what week that means. But, yeah, you take Marcus Peters out, and we're, we're not as high level a talent at all. Yeah, it's it's uh it does take away certainly some of what they what they can do with eyes into the backfield. This is just I just I love that so much that basically everybody's looking at the quarterback ready to make a play on the football. You playing downhill, you give up some short passes, big freaking deal, and you're just much more likely to get an interception. And you know the incompletions happen on their own, particularly in the wet weather in that first half. Yeah. Uh, you know, you don't you don't need a lot of help there. So that but that is one of the reasons why I'm I'm kind of more cautiously optimistic than fully unengagedly optimistic like I am right like I could have been after a win like this. Mm-hmm. That I think that weather played a factor. Um I, I you know, one of the things I would have said is I would have questioned the the Jets at offensive tackle. And I think they they were weak there with Fant moved and with Mitchell in there on the right side. Um, but their interior offensive line is supposed to be quite yes. good. 
They have a, they have a number 14 overall pick in, in Elijah Fury Tucker. He played well, but Lakin Tomlinson, the guy just, just gave $17.3 million to in terms of cap, um, he's he's not any good. <laughs> they better kept the receipt on that. And Fant wasn't much better. Yeah. I mean, Fant was, and, and to be honest with you, I watched the film last year of Fant. We got the better guy, Morgan Moses. We got the better mm-hmm. guy. Watching the film of those two uh, last year, we got the better guy. We just did. And there's other people who disagree with me. That's fine. Show show me. I'll show you the film of Justin Houston kicking his butt. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, but, you know, I'm sure Justin Houston gives the work to Morgan Moses sometimes, too, because mm-hmm. he's a real pro. But he looked bad on about six or seven snaps. Now, I did think that as the game progressed, Fant got better at left tackle. How do you get beat that many times on an inside move in one freaking football game? Yeah, and 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 from Justin Houston, who, if you go back, and I'm sure these guys have access to the film, like, mm-hmm. it's cut for them. Okay, it's cut for them, and it's on their Surface Pro or whatever they go home with, and it's you, if you're, you know, if you're a, an offensive tackle, you get a certain film. If I'm an offensive guard, I get a different film. There's no reason for me to waste time looking at, you know, Justin Houston's rushes if I'm the right guard. It's all catered specifically to the player. Fant had, hey, Justin Houston's got a hell of an inside move. I can see that from the 10 or 12 great inside moves. Think of the Bengals game last year at home. He killed the left tackle on two early inside moves. And it's like, how can you not know that that is coming? You know? So, so yeah, I agree. One of the, one of the questions I would have about this is, is you're, you're, you're a right tackle by training. I know Fan has been, he's been a little bit of a journeyman going from left to right and actually was reportedly kind of salty about not getting moved back to left tackle. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they, the Jets went out and got Dwayne Brown and then he got hurt. So they, they actually lost, you know, Beckton, obviously their, their high draft pick. And then they lost, uh, Brown as well, just in the last week or so to, to injury and, uh, and fan, you know, got moved back over. But after that game, <laughs> I'd be questioning whether I belong back on the right side again, where it's probably more natural. He may have some kind of a, you know, natural tendency to protect the inside or protect the outside that is, that is betraying him on the other side. No, no, totally agree. You know, um, one year we had a huge conversation about um, defensive line, and I am, you know, responding to what you said. And we were talking about certain great high school defenses uh, play their D-line and it's our linebackers right and left. They, they play right and left. You know, why do you do that? Well, some kids are left-handed. They're better with a certain hand mm-hmm. on the ground. Some kids are right-handed. And then the offensive line coach, who was a, a recently a graduated college player, All-American, and he said, he said, well, think about it, guys. He said, I played left tackle. And that's all I played. So, so what if I had to go over and play right tackle on, on certain plays? You know, my technique is different. And I was like, and we, and then we made the decision that year to go with, uh, we said, we're going to go right and left the first five weeks and give it and see what happens. You know, and, and, and we had more sacks after five weeks than we had the previous four, 13 games in the year before. So, so there is something to be said about moving from that right tackle to left tackle side, because the steps are different. The stance is different. No doubt about it. So, you know, um, yeah, credit to Fant for doing it, but it seems so um, almost schizophrenic the way it's happened. Like you said, he wanted to be moved left, left, left tackle. They signed a left tackle. He's the right tackle. The guy gets hurt. They move him over to left tackle. Unreal. Yeah. Well, it, it, reportedly he wanted to move there. That's what's really funny about this whole thing. I just, I, the, the amount of, of foot in mouth disease these Jets offensive linemen have from this week. Max Mitchell calling OA just another guy. Not that OA had that great a game, but but you know he's a tough OA, and the rest of the line got pummeled. I thought, I thought it was Campbell. He said it about. 
You're right. It was Campbell. He was Calais, was Campbell. He said it about. That's even Campbell. worse. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Calais Campbell was one of those guys. Like we would say, he's the first guy off the bus. Mm-hmm. You know, like when when you take the bus to a road game and you want to get off, you want these three guys to get off with their shirts off. You know, the bus first, so that the other team and the fans are like, "Oh my God!" You They're know, that's big. Calais. Yeah. That's Calais Campbell. <laughs> he's a, he's a first guy off the bus. You know, and no, Max Mitchell. He's not just another guy. He would he would probably constrict your breathing and end your life if he wanted to, <laughs> but he's a really nice guy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the uh, uh, yeah we we can talk about some more about the players a little bit later. Uh, anything else about packages? I want to see. Uh, they had about, the, the Ravens had their most success in the dime. They played thirty seven snaps, one hundred and sixty yards, four point three yards per play. Uh, they did play. Uh, um, a little more nickel. This is a three-one, three-two-one-five nickel, which is only one outside linebacker on the field. So they're just getting by, frankly, with personnel at this point in this game. Obviously, all their outside linebackers played a, a fair amount. Not all of the Ravens' outside linebackers are Terrell Suggs in terms of their ability to play ninety-five percent of snaps. Yeah, you know, in his prime. But uh, but they had some good success with that. So uh, that was, uh, uh, you, know, you know, one of the things. That's it. That just had two inside linebackers on the field, but they had uh, only one outside. So they they had some. They tried some things. I think that are basically just workarounds for the current personnel deficiencies yeah. at outside linebacker. And but I also believe too that you know, especially early in the season, I think as an overall staff, they recognized that about week five or week six, everybody knows what's coming. I mean, mm-hmm. you look at last year for our offense. About, now, it wasn't week five or six. It was week seven against Cincinnati. We had, There was enough data built up for certain personnel groups and certain down and distances. We be, we were just entirely predictable. You could tell what was coming, especially if that we line up in a certain formation. Defense is the same thing. I think they're showing a lot of personnel groups, showing a lot of coverages to extend that day such that they become, quote, predictable. Uh, and and that, another point, um, you you and I are old enough to – uh, remember the uh, the use of well this this term is still used bend but don't break that's yeah. a poor term in my opinion of of uh, not poor it, it could be improved upon you know modern defenses uh, trying to adapt to the rules the arbitrary and and bullshit rules that the NFL uh, uses sometimes for to protect the offense they are recognizing it is in our best interest to try to extend drives and give ourselves an opportunity to make a play. Quarterbacks and receivers can can execute 10, 12 play drives. I'm not saying they can't, but we we have playmakers. We have a lot of playmakers. Uh, and I showed yesterday, like I I was shocked at how much Mark, Marcus Williams was up near the line of scrimmage or playing at the second level instead of the third. And I think we're just showing a lot of looks uh, to install in quarterbacks' minds. You're not just going to be able to get to the line and know the coverage that we're playing You know, most of the time. We're going to be unpredictable and versatile. Good set of safeties for doing that. And, and you know, three strong safeties would not do it because you wouldn't have the back end flexibility to do this. But um, Williams is a playmaker in level three. And he was and, and he, he, he had one interception, one near interception there. Mm-hmm. And and uh, he's I, I, I'll tell you what else impressed me about him. Boy, what a game he had in terms of tackling. Yes. I mean, the guy does not miss tackles. And I look back on PFF. And he's got quite a history of being a, a very. Uh, sure tackler over the course of his career. Yeah, yeah. Except for that one, you know, play at the end of the Vikings game that Saints fans talked about for two or three years. But <laughs> we're blessed. We're incredibly blessed. And even with Fuller going down, you know, hopefully that guy's able to recover and play in the NFL again. But it's tough to imagine, you know, that would be in Baltimore. Um, we have so many guys. When we get Peters on the field, Peters, Humphrey, 
Marcus Williams, Chuck Clark, Kyle Hamilton, you know, whatever the other corner ends up being, we're still very blessed uh, DB-wise. The one concern I do have uh, specific is like our, and I said this during the game, is like our 11 personnel run fits have continued to be a problem, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, because you have less guys in the box and that tight end, you know, an 11 personnel is able to, is able to run the backside of the split zone concept or, or kick people out, and we just have trouble fitting it. And, and I'm not saying it's a Patrick Green thing. It's just reality. There's seven gaps there. There's only six guys to fill them. You know? So unless you, unless you have somebody two-gap, and like I just talked about early two-gap, one-gap, unless you have somebody two-gapping, you have an issue. <laughs> you really do. Or you, or you, or you got to have high awareness physical run fits from your slot corner, which, by the way, I, I generally love having a physical slot corner, but you pay a price for that. And, you know, in all the years that Tavon Young was here, um, he gave the Ravens a lot of trouble in terms of the fact that he couldn't stay on the field. And, and I don't say he gave the Ravens a lot of trouble. His his aggressive physical downhill style yes. um, really gave the Ravens a lot of trouble. If you go back to the 2000 Ravens, by the way, those outside corners in particular clearly have orders not to participate in run plays. Starks and McAllister. McAllister, a fine run defender for most of his career, at least uh, at least that's the way I think of him, just you know, would approach the pile on tippy-toes, you know, not looking to get engaged if it was all possible. 6'1", six, 6'2", six, six, two, 200, 210 mm-hmm. pounds, something like that. Great body. Oh, I said in our Discord a couple of weeks ago, you know, Chris McAllister, if if perfectly healthy for his entire career, is a, a Hall of Fame talent. Mm-hmm. You know, talent. I'm not talking about resume, but talent. No, I, I I agree, and I would be okay with that. You know, what you're talking about is risk reward. Like Tavon Young played so hard, and threw himself around so much sometimes in areas uh, that you know he ended up paying a price for it at times. Mm-hmm. He's out this year again, isn't he? Yeah, I think he did get hurt. He's with the Bears, I think. Is that right? Bears, yeah, Bears, because because yeah. um. Elliot went to the Lions and is playing, so that sucks, man. You know, because Tavon's such a spectacular player. He played most of the year last year before he got hurt. But anyway, I'm sorry, we digress. I'm very good at getting people off task. Like <laughs> our 11 personnel run fits, I don't think is going to be solved. I just don't, unless we get our full complement of edge guys back who are capable of, you know, doing what you look at two plays yesterday, Justin Houston. We're in our four-two nickel, um, and he kind of really condenses down the line and attacks the pulling guard really condenses that gap. And if we got to talk about that, yeah, the pulling guard undercut of Vera Tucker, that is a big, powerful man known for pulling. Yeah. Yeah. And if he does, you're talking about the one, so it would have been the right side of our defense, right? It would, it was, the run was to the left and, and uh, he actually, he undercut Vera Tucker. Yeah. Yeah, offense is left. Sorry, yeah, offense yeah, left. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know I'm a defense guy, so I everything. <laughs> <laughs> so I used to say to like offensive guys, I'm like, you're drawing that play up wrong. He's like, no, I'm drawing. I was like, you're drawing it up wrong. Stick a mirror up to it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but anyway, no. If if there's any in the four two, you know, nickel or what I call four two, if the outside linebackers or DNs, whatever personnel wise they are, if they're getting upfield at all when they're unblocked, you're gonna have a huge problem to that side, especially if the one is there. And we've had trouble. Think of what the Steelers did to us in the second half last year up there in, in Pittsburgh. They went exclusively to 11 personnel, and Ben just called the game. If we lined up this way, he ran the ball. If they if we lined up with one high safety, he threw the ball. Just you know, so we we have trouble with that. That'll be interesting to see how we solve it because you know when we play when we play the Bengals twice, their most dangerous group is 11 personnel. That's yep. going to be the that's going to be the problem we've got to try to solve. 
I I, I, want, I want to close this segment, and we have to come back and do this the second part as a second show for some technical reasons here. But um, I did want to say this in general. One of my big takeaways from this game is I don't feel any better at all about the Ravens' ability to handle 11 or much worse 10 personnel this year, given their uh, deficits. Now, it, it starts with at corner – I think they've got some limitations and we want to get into this in on the next part. We'll go player by player through a lot of the uh, defensive backfield, but I thought they were pretty thin at corner, frankly, before the injury uh, they, that they were thin probably even before the Peters injury knew he was going to keep him out. And definitely uh, uh, they are thin after the fuller injury. Yeah. With, I mean, like we talked about earlier, absent Marcus Peters, that's your, that's your number one cover guy. If, if we have the Super Bowl against the 49ers, if we have one play to cover the best receiver, who do we put on him right now? For If the entire roster is totally healthy, we either put Humphrey or Peters on him, right? Mm-hmm. But to me, it's probably Peters. You know, just, just because I've seen, Mar- I've seen Marlon, and I, I really love Marlon Humphrey as a football player, I do, but I've seen, I've seen Peters be in good coverage and give up less, unless he's playing off coverage, and it's kind of like, okay, we're going to let you throw the seven-yard out. Because we're going to set you up. I, I think Peters is the best coverage guy we got. I think we'd be in a way better situation if he ba- he's back healthy. I just I don't think it's coming anytime soon. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm afraid of that, too, when I hear language at the podium that's basically, I'll, I'll be back on the field when Bilotti tells me I'm right. I think that's what Stanley is basically saying at this point. And, you know, I'm just, I'm not sure when we'll see either. Uh, I, I, I'll tell you what, I would take Peters under the circumstance that um, I need to put the quarterback on a, puppeteer's string yes because he's the best at setting up the quarterback and gambling then off that he's the best at understanding how to gamble off what the defense is doing so he understands all the concepts that mcdonald is trying to teach now about you know we need to understand what the rest of the defense is doing and understand why we're doing it he's the best at at uh, using that in actual play no totally agree he is incredibly intelligent you can see it in the play Mm -hmm. Uh, even if you never heard him talk you could watch some of the play and you could see it. Yep. And he's definitely a guy who studies, you know, route combinations out of particular formations. And so probably in some of my videos I say formation and people think I'm saying the corner on our left needs to know what the running back on the other side of the formation is doing. No, that's not what I mean. What I mean is like if it's to your side and the number two is a tight end and he's he's outside the top of the numbers – so you have two guys lined up from the top of the numbers to the sideline. There's only a certain amount of route combinations they can yeah. run. Marcus Peters is, and that's an extreme example. That's very rare. But Marcus Peters is incredibly adept, if you ask me, at understanding what route combinations are coming in, what situations by the way the receivers are lined up to his side of the field. Um, and I just, you know, I think he's, I think he's a great player, man, and, and we really miss him. Yeah, outstanding. I mean, I, I, I agree with that. And and by the way, that becomes even more important in the middle of the field where the route com- combinations intersect more. You know, it is important. Look, I, I don't want to say it's not important to know outside the numbers where the ball is going because you want to know where it's going, when it's going to get there and how your pass rush is going to get get to the quarterback in time to impede that throw. You want to know all that. And Peters is great at all that. But on, on the on the plays that naturally cross through the middle of the field, you know, all of these tight end crosses and the combination of these these uh, uh, pick routes that can be run and all, all, all of those things. Those inside linebackers got to know that cold and they got to know the between level two and level three 
route combinations and how they need to react to those possibilities. That that's what makes a great coverage linebacker. And oh, that's the, the we have missed that so bad. Yeah. I, I lost you a little bit for a second there. My my connection, you know, had a had a stink out for a second. No, no, you you said inside linebackers got to be where those things. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. If you look at, and I think I even mentioned this last time I was on your show, like that's why Josh Bynes was so important last year for our defense. Even though we did have you know poor moments later in the season, but those can generally be attributed to our lack of DB talent at the time. Uh, we had moments where Josh Bynes is able to take away like two routes because he understands the leverage is, you know, I'm not talking about, this is not a Josh Bynes conversation, but it's, it's film study. It's understanding the formation and the down and distance mm-hmm. and, and field and boundary where the ball is. You can look at certain teams where they run, where they run their plays. I forget which team I charted. It was an NFL team. I charted nine plays in a row. I think it was the jets from the preseason. It was, Ball on the left hash, play direction to the right. Ball Next play. Ball on the right hash, play direction to the left. It was nine plays in a row. That's some high school stuff because the hashes mm-hmm. are so much wider in high school. The NFL has arbitrarily moved them in to try to you know reduce the element of that field and boundary defense. But, uh, yeah, awareness. Marcus Peters has got it. And we miss not just the playmaking, but I think we miss that communication. And we miss that. that um, I don't like the term alpha. Like, I just don't. I don't, I don't believe in those things. You either do or you don't. And Marcus Peters, but having said that, Marcus Peters, in terms of putting people in the right place on the field, on defense, he's an alpha. He makes sure that it happens. Yeah, he, and he tells them when, it's, when it doesn't work out after the play in no uncertain terms. He's a, he's a very um, uh, demonstrative, demonstrative emoter on the field. And you often will hear, see a player talking to another player after the field, and you can immediately discern what they're likely talking about yep. if, if, he, if you – it's usually a leverage issue or that was your guy that was not or you're not supposed to bite on this this was a zone play or whatever you know kind of thing uh but you'll you'll see the same uh, certain players will get talked to a lot uh and i don't want to go into exactly who in the past but there's also certain players who when they do the talking they do it with a low five lj fort cool as a cucumber he says no that's not the way man you got to be over here but he doesn't have to move his head around to do it marlon humphrey comes up to you he cocks his head and looks at you yeah. And, and, you know, there's no question to 70,000 people that, you know, what might have gone wrong on that previous point. Same thing as Marcus Peters, very demonstrative. In fact, his, his language when he screws up personally, his body language is, is more emotive than others. He slumps his shoulders, walks directly off the field. He knows it was his fault and he lets everybody know it, but, you know, by his body language. Yeah, he's one of those. And, and one of the elements about Marcus Peters that I really love is, I like to make sports analogies to other sports. He reminds mm-hmm. me of a home run hitter and that every time he strikes out, gives up a 12-yard completion, gives up a four, whatever. That's just in his mind. I don't know that he thinks this, but if I was his coach, which I've never been anywhere near that level, I would say, hey, it's all right. All that means is we're one play closer to you hitting a home run. <laughs> That's all that means. And some guy, it's, it's the very rare athlete that you can do that with. There's certain guys you can do that with, and he's a highly intelligent guy that you would say, hey, I don't care, you know, what happened on this play. You're going to hit a home run here later, later on. Yeah, and that, that's that's an interesting way to put it. I just say he's he's one of the game's greatest ever gamblers, along with Reed. And when you gamble, you accept some level of risk of failure. And Peters does not have to be right very often nope. in terms of what he's doing. Uh, to, you know, his hands are sure. He gets a lot of picks. 
And those things are a hell of a lot more valuable than giving up a 12 yard you know, reception for certain. But even a lot of times giving up a touchdown is not that bad relative to your additional chance of getting a pick. Because there is, yeah. and we always used to say pressure is cumulative mm-hmm. and certain plays like you're describing, are cumulative. They have a long-term effect. Plays don't happen in isolation. So the next time a coach calls a particular play that and, and Joe Burrow or whoever the quarterback is remembers, the last time I ran this smash concept on that SOB over there, he baited me into throwing the stop, and he pick-sixed me. So you know what I'm going to do? Coach just called smash. I'm going to audible to mash over here. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to run that to his side. There is an there, there is a cumulative effect to that that is real. Obviously, I don't know that from a personal perspective with NFL guys, but you can you can imagine if you've ever competed yourself, if they ask you to block someone that you know you can't block, you're going to have some indecision in your head the next time you're asked to do it. Marcus Peters, same thing. Yeah, I, or or yeah, take a take a different step. Look, I, I'm sorry about this, coach. We got we got to cut this episode off. We will pick up with this in the second part of the defensive episode in just a little bit. Tell folks one more time where they can find your work online. All 22 films on Twitter, which I think the um, hashtag or whatever it's called, it's not hashtag, is like actually all underscore 22 underscore cuts, something like that. Very random. Like I said, I was a Twitter noob when I originally made the account, so I didn't have <laughs> didn't have the wherewithal to not put the um, underscores in there. And then all 22 films on YouTube. So try to do as many Ravens breakdowns as possible uh, under normal circumstances, which today has definitely not been normal. I highly recommend coaches both a follow and uh, give his YouTube uh, content a, a chance. It's uh, damn good stuff. Uh, We'll leave it at that, and we'll come back for the second episode shortly. By the time you're listening to this, I hope you'll have a chance already to download that second episode, and we'll talk to you real soon. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.